You know, I love souvenirs. Anybody that travels is familiar with souvenirs. Maybe you like to get them to take home. To I, I know when my kids were young, they used to like to get souvenirs, or my chill grandchildren would like to get them. Of course, I would bring something home to my wife if I were traveling by myself. Souvenirs are fun, and I, we, we like to take them to class to tell people about our trip or whatever. To me, though, the best souvenirs are reminders. The best souvenirs are those things that remind us of some particular moment on our trip or some particular place that we stood or some particular experience that we had. I brought along today a couple of uh, souvenir reminders that have come to mean a lot to me. They probably didn't cost me more than about a, a shek- uh, maybe four shekels or roughly a dollar, maybe a little bit more back then, but it, they were some time ago, but they're very valuable to me. I have here two clay pots. You know, they're small. They're replicas of larger clay pots that were found um, on the west shore of the Dead Sea. I was standing at the west shore of the Dead Sea, looking out over the sea, and standing in an Essene village uh, that's a, a special village by, for, for several reasons. It was a place, a gathering place for a group of men who actually lived there, much like a monastery. Uh, it was called Qumran. Maybe you've heard of Qumran. Qumran is special because of the caves that surround Qumran. And what makes those cave specials are these clay pots that are found there. Now, this is a small clay pot, but it's uh, the ones that are, are, are there that actually held the materials were larger. What did they hold? They held the scriptures. They held the Torah. They became known in 1948 as the Dead Sea Scrolls. I can only imagine the potter who's forming these particular pots, right? There, there were lamps, lamps found there, oil lamps found that the potter had shaped and formed into something that could provide light in that ancient, that ancient place. There were all kinds of other pieces of, potter, uh, of pottery that was there, and I'm fascinated by those things and fascinated by pottery itself. I, I love watching the, 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 tr- the bumper for the past few weeks, watching the work of the potter who's spinning the object, the lump of clay, and forming it and shaping it into the, the, the vessel that he or she wants to produce. It's interesting to me because that's exactly a good metaphor, a good picture of what God is doing in our life. God, like a great potter, is molding us and shaping us forming us into the image of Christ, forming us into what he wants us to become. We find the story, the idea throughout the scriptures. Paul talks about being vessels of honor, uh, other places in scriptures, but maybe no place like the prophet Jeremiah. I want to take you there in just a moment because for the past few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual formation. Our lead pastor, Chip, has been telling us about his vision to see our church impacted by spiritual formation, and he defined that for us very clearly, and that is seeing Jesus move toward, more and more toward, the center of our hearts. While everything in this life, everything around us competes for that central part, that center part, that first place in your heart and life, that place is really reserved for Jesus. It is reserved for his presence. He desires it, and he deserves it. Much like the Old Testament tabernacle sat in the middle of the camp of Israel, God resting his presence in the middle of his people, God wants Jesus to be first and foremost in the middle of our hearts. But what does that look like, and and why is that so important? Why is it so important that we talk about it? Why is it so important that we come to understand it, and why is it so important that we do it? 
Now, one thing I know about vision, we've heard uh, Chip's vision for the past uh, three weeks, his vision for the orchard, and we have joined into that heart and vision, and, and we unite with that, and we agree with that. But here's the thing I've learned. Vision falls by the wayside unless we decide to act upon the vision. In fact, Jesus told a story similar that, that affects that. You remember at the end of his great sermon on the mount, Jesus told a very famous story. And in fact, it's so familiar to us that sometimes we lose the impact of the, of the big choice, the big idea he was making. He said after preaching this sermon, he said there's two men, a wise man and a foolish man. He said a foolish man built his house on the sand because it was cheap, it was easy. He said the, the wise man built his house on a rock, and when the storm came, the one that built on the sand was destroyed, and the one that was built on the, on the rock survived the storm. And then he made an analogy that was very important. He said the wise man is the person who hears these sayings of mine but doesn't do them. The wise man is the man who hears these sayings and does them. So you see, it's important that we not only hear good messages and hear bold vision. It's not enough that we just say, hey, that's great, man, that's good. Or it's not great that we just say amen or, or that we think, well, what a great series. What's important is that we follow it and understand why we need to do and why we need to act on the vision. The Apostle James understood it, and maybe that impacted him when he wrote his little book, James, in chapter 5. He said, be hearers of the word and not be doers of the word, I'm sorry, and not hearers only. So I want to take you to the Old Testament. I want to take you to a story that I think may help us to see what it looks like when our hearts are fully devoted to Christ, what it looks like when Christ has moved toward the center of our heart. I want us to take a look at what it looks like for us, for me personally, for you personally, but also for our church. If we can really grasp this vision and move toward this vision of, of spiritual foundations and spiritual formations, if we can understand the importance of Christ coming into the center of our being, I think it's life-changing. So let's draw a picture of it, or let's catch a picture of it in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to read along, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. We're just going to read four verses, but I think that'll be enough for us to get the picture. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet of Israel. He was prophesying at a time when things were not pretty in Israel. Israel was not pretty. Uh, in fact, God was sending discipline upon his people through other nations, through foreign nations. And Jeremiah is the spokesman. He's the spokesperson from God to the people. He has a message that he's trying to get to them. And his message is a message of repentance, a message of transformation, a message that God was ready for his people to come back to him being the center of their heart and their nation. And I'm convinced that today God is anxious. God is desirable, desiring that we, his people, would let him become the center of our hearts and our churches let him become the center of our church. So what does it look like? Jeremiah chapter 18. Let's just read Jeremiah's account. He says, this is the word, verse 1, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. Now, isn't it interesting that he's going to give Jeremiah a message, a message to give to the people, but to get the message, he doesn't say go to the synagogue. He doesn't say go to the temple. He doesn't say go to the church. He says, 
go to the potter's house. You know, sometimes we best learn by seeing what does it look like. We've heard the theology behind the spiritual formation, and we've gained some insight, but sometimes we just need to see what it looks like fleshed out. So go to the potter's house, he said, and there I'll give you a message. So, verse 3, Jeremiah says, I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. What a thought. Here's the potter, and he's, he's forming a vessel, maybe a pot like these clay pots. He's forming a pot for a certain purpose and with a certain image in mind and with a certain direction in his path, and he's forming it, but then he notices that it's marred, and so he has to uh, uh, press it together and start over again, and, and he shapes it, and then Jeremiah says, these words just grabbed me this week. He says, he formed it into another pot. He started again, and he formed a new pot, listen, as it seemed best to him. Now, I think that is a key sentence, a key thing to understanding what spiritual formation is all about. As Christ moves to the center of our heart, his desire is to shape us, to form us into a vessel that, as he says, seems best to him. Oh, if we could understand. That's giving up our lives, control of our lives to Christ, surrendering to him, turning from our own desires, our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own persuasions, and trust him with our lives. He's always going to form our lives as it seems best to him. Now, you're busy, and I'm busy most of the time trying to form our lives as it seems best to me. And I would ask you what a friend often asked me, how's that working out for you? Sometimes not real good. Sometimes we become marred. Sometimes we're like broken vessels and broken pots. Sometimes we're completely useless before God. But God wants to form us, form in us, the image of Christ that changes us completely. So what does it look like? What does it look like when Jesus is formed in us? The Apostle Paul had a burden for that, too. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatian church, said, I'm looking. He said he used the illustration of a, 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 a woman giving birth. He said, as a mother travails for, longs for the birth of her baby, I am longing for the moment when Christ is formed in you. When Christ, the image of Christ, uh, this, Paul also spoke about growing up into the fullness of the image of Christ. When Christ is formed in us, when Christ is pressed into us, shaped into us, we begin to be shaped into his image. And we begin to look like him and live like him, talk like him, hear like him. So what happens? Well, let's think about the potter and the clay just a minute. And let's think about how our lives are changed when Christ indeed is formed in us. Several things I thought about. First of all, I think when Christ is formed in us, we become something beautiful, something beautiful. Now, these, these pots here, just became they were just mud at one time, just clay hardened on the ground. But that potter took that clay and moistened it to certain extents and massaged it and formed it and cut it and edged it and 
moistened it some more, making it pliable, forming it into what would be something beautiful. And I know you look at it and you say, well, I don't know if that's too beautiful. Well, you could paint it up if you wanted to. You could, you could doctor it up and uh, however you wanted to, but it's a beautiful pot. When Christ and his image is formed in us, we become something beautiful. And that's important because when we become something beautiful, others see Jesus in us. That's what is beauty. That's where the beauty lies. Others seeing Jesus in us. And as we see, they see Jesus in us, their lives are impacted. See, when we have Christ formed in us, we're made into something beautiful. And by the way, same thing for the church. When the church understands the importance of Christ being central in the church, of Christ being the first place in the church, of Christ being the one that um, is center, guess what? That church becomes beautiful. That church, let me say it this way, that church becomes attractive. Have you, have you noticed that churches are not necessarily attractive to the world anymore? As a matter of fact, uh, most people in the world don't like the church and don't see any beauty in the church whatsoever, but rather they see strife, they, they see division, they see selfishness, they, they see um, a false advancement. No, I, 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 we're not attractive to them. Now remember, I'm not talking about buildings. He said, well, our church is very attractive. No, no, I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about the people, right? The church is the people. And oftentimes, <clears throat> we've lost that attraction. I've often wondered about that. Why is that so? It's because Christ has been removed from the center of our heart, off to the side somewhere, and other things, other issues, other methods, other uh, desires have become more important than Christ's sovereignty in our church. And as it does, we are less attractive. But as Jesus moves to the center of our church, our church becomes attractive. And suddenly people see Jesus in us. And my friend, listen, all they need to do is see the glory of Christ and the beauty of Christ. That Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. If there's a problem with attraction, it's not that we're not doing enough cool things. It's that we're not revealing Jesus for the world to see. So spiritual formation, all about bringing Jesus to the center and the forefront of our church so that when people look at a church, when the people look at the orchard, they see Jesus and there is an attraction there. Secondly, when Jesus is moving to the center of our heart, we become useful. <laughs> yeah, we become useful, right? These pots are made useful. They're not just made for decoration. Now, some might have been, but this one was to provide oil, is an oil pot. It's, it, it's for, to provide light. This one held those Dead Sea Scrolls, those scrolls of the Torah, uh, of the instruction of the prophets, all of the scriptures, and they were useful. And even so, God wants us to be useful. He wants to make us useful. As a matter of fact, Paul said this in 2 Timothy 2.20. He says, So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, a special vessel, set apart, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. When Jesus is moved to the center of our heart, we become useful servants. <laughs> I love that thought. We don't just... We're not just designed to sit on a shelf and say, look at me. We're, we're not designed as Christians, as followers of Christ, to just 
sit idly by and watch everything that's going on. No, no, we are to be servants. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, here's why I came. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Someone has said we're never more like Jesus than when we are serving. But oftentimes, we're not even usable. Sin in our life, distractions in our life. We don't have time. We don't have the energy. We don't have the money. We can't afford to. Whatever it might be, our service, our usefulness becomes nil because we push Jesus out of the center of our heart. Same is true of the church. When a church has Jesus moved to the center of the church, then guess what? It certain suddenly becomes usable. When we have Jesus first in our life, others are blessed by Jesus in me. When the church has Jesus at the center, the church becomes useful to the kingdom. God can use that church where Jesus is center, where Jesus is Lord, where he truly is the preeminent, the, the preeminent and dominant one in the church. The church becomes useful, and God is prepared to use that church. The third thing I thought about is, like the potter with the clay, when Jesus moves to the center of our heart, we become pliable. <laughs> we become flexible. Now, flexibility is hard for us, especially in our Western world. We're not, we don't have much room for flexibility. We want to plan, and we want it to go off just like we want it to, right? You've got your to-do list, and you want to check it off just like you want to do it. And if you check, get the checklist checked completely, then everything ought to be good. And we, we want to be in control. We want to be firm. We don't want any changes. I don't like any of that thing. Flexibility, that's a hard word. <laughs> and yet we need flexibility. We need to be pliable. If we're not pliable, we can't change and move into the directions that God wants us to move into. Often God will choose to call us into some direction or some ministry or some facet that we are less the least pliable at. But it's part of our spirituality. It's part of our growth. When we become pliable and flexible, others are impressed with what Jesus is doing in us and how Jesus changes us. As a matter of fact, some of you have been changed so drastically by Jesus that the very, the, the very fact that you have been flexible and pliable is a huge witness to the power of God at work in you. What it is is Jesus moving to the center of your heart. And when churches that Jesus moved to the center of our heart, we're more able to make adjustments. Why is the church struggling so much today? Because we fail to make adjustments. We want to do things the way we've always done them. We want to do things the way we did them 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even five years ago. But we have to remain flexible. We have to remain in a state of being ready to make adjustments. And then the fourth thing I notice is this. When Jesus moves to the center of our heart, we become honorable vessels. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 2.20. He said, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but there are some of wood and clay. And then he says, some, some of these vessels are for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Hmm. When Jesus is in the center of our life, the things that we do become honorable. In what way? The things that we do honor Jesus and not me. You see, what we want to do is we want to do things that honor me. And, and, and what we need to see is that it's Christ is the center of our life. What we do honors Jesus. What we do impacts the world because Jesus is honored. 
others are impacted by Jesus in us. The church becomes a force that Jesus intended us to be. I would add this to the church. When Jesus becomes first, when Jesus is at the heart of all that we do, when he is at the heart of our mission, the heart of our faith, when he is at the heart of our lives and claiming that place of first place, the church, the individual becomes powerful. Powerful. Would you want to be a part of a powerful church? Would you want to understand that God could use you in a powerful way? I mean, you just think, I'm just a nobody. I know. I am too. But you know what? God shapes nobodies in the way that seems best to him. And in doing so, we become powerful. So I guess if I were to take this away and kind of bring this in for a landing, I'd say this. You and I are in the hands of a great potter. We need to remember that, that he is working in us. He is forming us into the image of Christ. He is pressing Christ into our hearts. And even though the clay can be misshapen, can be marred, even though it can be broken, God doesn't throw it away. He just reshapes it into what he wants it to be. I'm pretty sure that some of us here today feel like, you know what, I'm in a pretty good place. God is shaping me. He's forming me, and I'm, I'm compliant with that, and everything's great, and, and, and things are working in my life. And so others will say, well, you know what, I got to admit, I, I don't know that I'm letting God shape my life. I think I'm, I'm the one who's shaping it. I think I'm taking the role of the potter, and I'm the one who's shaping this thing. And, and, and then some would say, you know what, I feel broken. I feel like my, my pot is, mo- is marred. I feel like I'm completely out of it here. And I don't know if God even wants me anymore. I'm glad to read Jeremiah and what God spoke to Jeremiah and said, you know what, when the clay was marred, when the vessel was cracked, the potter lovingly and patiently reshapes it, reforms it, and starts again. You may be under the fire right now, but the fire is necessary to harden the clay again. It may seem like God has left you, but indeed... He hasn't left you yet. The key is, will you allow him to be first in your life? Will you allow him to be first in our church as we move into this world? In 1902, a 42-year-old woman sat in a prayer meeting and her heart was broken. It was broken because she had given her life to Christ several years before, and he had placed in her a desire, a heart desire, to, to go and be a missionary in Africa. She had given her life to that, and she decided that she would go, and she began to raise her support to go, but financially it just didn't work out. Financially, there were not supporters. Financially, she just didn't have enough money. And so her only assumption was, the only thing she could assume, and the only conclusion she could arrive at is, well, God must not want me to go there after all. And maybe he just wants me to stay here. But her heart was broken. She had really wanted to let go. As a matter of fact, she went to a prayer meeting one night in this heartbroken stance, and trying to understand what God was doing in her life. She thought of, heard of a prayer meeting. She said, I'll, I'll just go there. And so she went, and she heard a woman who was praying, and the words of her prayer arrested her. You know, you've done that, haven't you? You've heard somebody else say something that just caught. She listened as the woman prayed, and here's what she heard. The woman said, it really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have your own way with our lives. Wow. It really doesn't matter. Now, I don't know, are you bold enough to pray such a thing? I'm not sure she was at the time, but it was, she was arrested by that. Lord, it really doesn't matter what you do with us. Just have your own 
way with us. In other words, maybe thinking of Jeremiah again, Lord, just do what seems best to you. Even if it doesn't seem best to me, just do in me what seems best. She couldn't get that idea out of her mind. And later that evening, she was meditating on that thought and she turned to Jeremiah 18. She read the story of the potter and the clay. And before retiring that night, Adelaide Pollard wrote out the words of a song that became a very famous hymn. And the church has been singing it for years now. The words of the song, maybe you know it. I don't know. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. But the words are powerful. And the first verse of her song simply says, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I and the clay mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Oh, that's my prayer today. I trust that can be your prayer today. Lord, have your own way in my life. Mold me and make me according to your will, as it seems best to you. While I am waiting patiently, yielded and still. If we can do that, if we will allow Jesus to be at the center of our hearts, the center of our lives, if we will resist the temptation to let everything else become central and let Him be at the center of our hearts, our lives will be changed forever. And if we, the orchard, will allow Christ to be at the very center of everything we do, our communities will be impacted. We will impact. We said, Chip has reminded us often that our goal, our vision, is to impact lostness in our community, in North Central Florida, and around the world. That will happen when Christ becomes preeminent in our lives. Thank you for joining us today. And I hope God has used this to just encourage you or to strengthen you or maybe even to convict you. And I want to pray for you just now that you will come to the place that you're ready to surrender your heart and life fully to Christ, making Him the very center of your heart, to form in you His image and a foundation that will last forever. Heavenly Father, thank You for giving us this time. Thank You for loving us like a potter, a vessel. Thank You, Lord, for not throwing us away when we're cracked, not throwing us away when we're marred, not throwing us away when we're unlovely. But God, thank You for taking us and through Jesus and his finished work on the cross, you've made us beautiful. You make us useful. You make us honorable. And you make us powerful. Thank you, Lord. And may you do that for each who are listening today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.